if you're just joining us or if you're wondering what that was all about, uh, yesterday we ended or was last day for our two-week um, church-wide fast. And today everything is back to normal and people are re-engaging life. And if you did some extreme fast, I just want to caution you to take it easy today as you re-engage food and save the body glaze uh, for next week. But anyways... Well, good morning. Welcome to Epic. My name is Tim Jones. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and we are so glad that you are here with us today. Today, we are finishing our series called Breakthrough. And in this series, we have been learning uh, that at some point in our lives, we come up against a plateau or obstacle in which we need a breakthrough. And Jesus' disciples encountered a plateau in their lives, and they didn't know what to do. And Jesus pointed them to the ancient disciplines of spiritual fasting and prayer uh, to be able to connect with God. And so for the last couple of weeks, many of us have been engaging God through prayer and through fasting, and um, it's been a good thing in our lives. And so if you miss any part of the series, I highly recommend that you check it out on our podcast. Now, whenever we fast, it just reminds me uh, just how easy it is for us to get hooked onto anything. I mean, isn't it crazy how much we get sucked into our phones or TV shows or movies or Netflix or sports. I mean, isn't it crazy how much time we can spend texting on our phones or social media? And then isn't it amazing uh, just how much uh, something that doesn't seem like a big deal can become a big deal? Uh, For instance, this past fall, um, I played fantasy football. And for years, I've been putting off playing fantasy football because I knew it would just like consume me. And my 13-year-old nephew said, hey, could we as a family play fantasy football? Now, how can I you know, turn down my 13-year-old nephew uh, for that? And so the first thing they did was to name the league Five Spartans and One Wolverine. And you've got to understand, my outlaws, I mean my in-laws, um, are all Michigan State Spartan fans, and uh, I am the lone Wolverine fan uh, that I've married into the family. And so... When they did that, it's like game on. Because you've got to understand, although like I'm a mild-mannered kind of guy on the outside, I am super competitive on the inside. And so if you don't know what fantasy football is, uh, the basic premise of the game is that you select NFL players to form a team. And as they perform each week, you get certain points uh, based upon how they perform. And each week, you go up against somebody else's team. And then the overall records get into a playoff at the end. And so my team, they start off and I'm doing horrible. I mean, my players are underperforming and they're getting injured left and right. And so I am losing and I can't stand that. And so I start to like watch more games. I start to learn the stats and, uh, you know, it doesn't take any time away from the family whatsoever when I'm doing that. Well, I start winning, okay? In fact, I pulled off six straight wins to get into the playoffs, Hey, that's amazing. I need to hear some cheers for that, all right? Yeah, thank you. All right, that took a lot of hard work. Uh, But anyways, I get into the playoffs. I get to the semifinals. I beat uh, my brother-in-law, which was awesome. And then um, I go up against Sarah's uncle um, in the finals. Now, at this point, all of our players play, and he's got one player left, uh, a wide receiver. And I'm only winning by 1.4 points, which is like nothing. All his wide receiver do, needed to do was like catch the ball, even if it was like for minus yards, okay? And he would win. And so I'm hooked. And the last game is on Christmas night, okay? And so 
I'm going to watch the game. I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'll watch the game, watch him catch his ball, and then I'll go to bed. Well, the first quarter happens and no catches, all right? The second quarter takes place, no catches. The third quarter happens and no catches. But then the final fourth quarter happens. And here's the text that I sent out after the game, all right? Tis the season for some final trash talk. Merry Christmas, fellow competitors. After beating five Spartans and becoming the champion of the league, well, that's all this Wolverine needed for Christmas. Thank you all for being a part of this season, The Wolverine. P.S., I also want to send a special shout-out to Jeffrey of the Philadelphia Eagles for being an amazing blocker all night and for dropping the only two passes that came his way. He is my new favorite wide receiver of all time. Yes, I did send that text out that night. So, because I was consumed, man. I was hooked. And it was game on, you know? So, now, I don't have anything against fantasy football. Um, but what it shows is it's amazing how something small uh, can just become something big in our lives. And isn't that what happens with uh, almost anything in our lives? Something s- starts out small and then gains a foothold and becomes big in our lives. And, uh, you know, for a lot of us, we make some small decision that's wrong for us. And then that wrong begins to add up and it ends up snowballing uh, and it starts consuming us and controlling us. And then at that point, it becomes something that we can't break free from. And then at some time, that thing that we have turned to uh, becomes something that we don't want anyone else to find out about. And so we start to take that one thing and we start to hide um, it from others, or we justify it as well. Now, during this fast, many of you have been fasting for freedom in some area of your life, and maybe you haven't experienced that freedom yet. And today, we are going to look at a real person who struggled just as much as we struggle as well. And when we look at his life and the real events that happened, we're going to see that he started to allow something to creep into his life, and then he started to hide it from everyone, even God. But yet, God still pursued him and made sure that he would not end up hurting himself. And so today, God wants to give you a breakthrough as well. And so let's examine today how we can have that breakthrough. If you would, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 in your Bibles or your smartphone device. If you don't have a Bible and you're new with us, feel free to always grab one of the Bibles in the back as a gift to you. Now, this event is, uh, takes place over two chapters, and we don't have enough time to go through all two chapters. And so for the sake of time, I am only going to cover certain portions from those chapters. But we'll be putting the verses up on the screen, but it's always good to be able to follow along in your Bibles, and I won't uh, speed up too fast. I won't like, let my competition come out, all right? But go ahead and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, and I'll give you a moment to get there. Now, as you turn there, let me tell you about the part of history that we are uh, dropping into. It is 997 BC, and David is the second king of Israel. And if you're like, hey, David, I've heard that name. This is the guy who took on Goliath as a young man and defeated him. And at this point, he is 50 years old uh, in his lifetime, and he has been on the throne for about 20 years. 
Now, he had distinguished himself as a man of God, as a mighty warrior, as someone who was a great leader who led his people to love God. But in this next segment of his life, he begins to uh, fall into a period of sin. And sin is simply doing things our way rather than God's way. And so David slowly allowed things to creep into his life to lead up to this great sin. And so with his great power, he began to act like other kings of other nations. With his great power, he was married to one woman, which was God's plan. Instead, he starts to take on more wives and concubines like other kings of other nations. And so during this time, nobody spoke up to him. I mean, who's going to speak up to the king at the height of his power? And so sin continued to creep into his life and got a foothold in his life. And we can learn some really important things as we look at the events in this segment of his life today. So let's begin 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab, his commander, and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem, and late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. Now, right away, if we were reading this back then, we would notice that there was something wrong. I mean, when kings went to war, uh, they went with their armies, but not David. David's in bed. He's back home. He's not in battle. In fact, he had so much time on his hand that he goes and takes a little midday rest. I mean, how nice, a midday rest, right? So David's back home, and he's just doing his own thing. Now, I don't know why he's doing his own thing, you know, but maybe he was having one of those, like, I deserve this moments, and we get that. We have those moments, those moments where we work really hard, we pay the bills, we take care of everyone else, and all of a sudden we think to ourselves, hey, I deserve this, you know. It's not going to hurt anyone. Maybe I'll spend a little more money on myself because I deserve this, or, you know, hey, you know, no one's going to miss this at work, so I'll just take this because they've got plenty, and I deserve this. Or maybe I'll just stay in this place a little bit longer uh, because I deserve this. Or maybe I'll just take one more drink, or one more, you know, I'll just gamble a little bit online, you know, 20 bucks, you know, I deserve this, right? Now, isn't that how sin begins to creep into our lives? Aren't those some of the small decisions that we make that end up costing us? Let's see how they ended up costing David. So let's see what happened. Picking back up in verse two, as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Now, at first that sounds innocent, right? You know, it's like David strolls out and oops, you know, there's a woman over there, you know, taking a bath, you know, my bad, I'll go back inside. That's not what happened, all right? Uh, When you look at the word in the Hebrew language that notice, it means to gaze, to stare, or to look intently. A variation of a word that's very commonly used from this word is to describe a bird of prey who has amazing vision and can swoop down and use its vision uh, to get its prey. And so, uh, in other words, David just didn't like see her, okay? Uh, He was checking her out. He was thinking to himself, I like what I see, and I'm going to have her, and I am the king, and so I'm going to have her. And so verse 3, David sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam. 
and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, did you catch that? This servant is really bold, actually. He's giving a warning in this statement because back then when you introduced a person, you would give typically their name, then their father's name, and you would move on to the grandfather and maybe even great-grandfather. This servant gives name, father, and then husband. And so, in other words, hey, David, the lady's married, but David just chooses to ignore the warning. Verse four, then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Now, when David got this message, I'm sure he was panicked, okay? I'm sure his one night fling came back and haunted him. And so here's this woman, the wife of another man, and she's going to have his baby. Now, what should he do? Now, he should have like fallen on his knees and confessed to God. He had such a relationship with God for 50 years that he should have confessed his sin to God and asked for forgiveness, but he didn't. Instead, he does what you and I do, you know? He tries to hide his sin. Don't we do that? I know in the past in my life, I've tried to hide sin, you know, when I've done something that I know is wrong, and I've gone out and just tried to hide because I'm too embarrassed or I don't want anybody to find out. You know how easy it is. We all know how easy that is. So let's see David's plan to hide his sin because this guy, uh, it's like full-on game pursuit. Here we go. I need to hide this sin. So first he needs Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, from, back from war because he was out at war. So verse six, then David sent word to Joab, his commander, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. And when Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing to kind of make it official, like a, a report, you know? Then he told Uriah, go on home and relax. And so David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. So here's what David's up to. Here's what's kind of scheming if we were in his mind, you know? He's like, okay, here's plan A. Let me go get Uriah back from war. Let me have him to dinner, you know, have him give this kind of report back to me so he doesn't like figure out like what's going on or something. And then uh, let me send him home, you know, and I'll give him a little wine, you know, maybe a little remix old school of Marvin Gaye or something, you know. And then nine months later, hey, you know, Uriah thinks that it's his baby. But yet, instead, Uriah, who wanted to honor the men he was fighting with, starts to go home but chooses to sleep outside the palace instead of being with his wife. And so David finds out and he's like, man, now I've got to come up with plan B. And so he's like, I'm going to invite him back to dinner. I'm going to get him drunk. And that way he'll forget about his friends and he'll go and be with his wife. And so sure enough, David does that. And the guy, um, you know, this time's leaving the palace. And it's like, great, he's leaving the palace. He's not sleeping outside the palace. But instead, Uriah remembers his friends and he says, I'm going to sleep outside my house because I want to honor them and not be with my wife. And so David has to come up with plan C. And plan C is, I'm going to send Uriah back to the fight. I'm going to put him on the front lines. And then I'm going to ask the commander to withdraw at some point to make sure that he gets killed. And so unfortunately, plan C works. And Uriah, the man of honor, the man who did no wrong, unfortunately dies in battle or really is murdered 
and battle. And so when we look at that, we kind of say, man, that is horrible. You know, that is just an atrocious sin. Like who would do that, especially this man of God? Um, You know, it was wrong back then and it's wrong today as well. But yet, isn't there some similarities, you know? Isn't that how we try to begin to cover up things? I mean, we don't go to the extent of like murder, hopefully, but don't we start to come up with some things to hide our sin from other people? You know, it's kind of like this. Um, We come up with plan A, and plan A is like, you know, um, I don't want anybody to find out about this, so I'm going to delete the history on my phone because I don't want anybody to discover the sites that I've been on. Or, you know, maybe... um, you know, I don't want anybody to find the pills that I'm taking or the bottle that I'm on. And so I, I'm just going to make sure that it's hidden and no one finds it, you know. Or maybe uh, I'm going to hide the wrappers and the food that I've been eating because I just can't control myself. And then what happens? Usually someone discovers us, right? You know, and plan A fails and we have to do plan B. And plan B is lie, you know. I've lied to someone in the past to cover up some things, you know. And then we often deflect, you know, we'll blame them. We'll just say, you know what? Um, Hey, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I would never do anything uh, like that. And so it's just your imagination. It must be someone else's. And if that doesn't work, then we resort to plan C. And plan C is we just blame the other person or we blame our spouse. And we just start to come back at them and say, hey, if you hadn't done what you had been, were supposed to be doing, then I would have never done what I was doing in the first place. And so we bury ourselves or we try to deflect so much to hide our sin. Isn't that what we do? A lot of times we do. So let's see what God does in this situation. So in this midst of attempts to cover up, he still pursues us. He still pursued David, which is amazing, speaks of his character. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27, when the period of mourning was over for Uriah, David sent for Bathsheba and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives, so he's still trying to cover this thing up. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. And so we know from history that from the death of Uriah to the point where God is going to confront David over this and send someone, uh, we know from David's accounts that he wrote in the Psalms uh, that he wasn't just like sipping lemonade during this year, okay? During that year, uh, he wrote that he had sleepless nights, that he uh, had trouble with holding food down that he was miserable with shame and guilt from trying to hide his sin. So listen to this when he gets confronted a year after the uh, issue. So chapter 12, verse one. So the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, God's spokesperson and David's trusted counselor to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. And one day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guests. David was furious 
And the reason he's furious is that he knows his buddy. His buddy has come and let him know what's going wrong in kind of the nation and the country. And so he knows that this story is obviously some reference to something that's going on under David's reign. And so he is upset. And this is what David shouts. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. And then David said to David, you are that man. You are that man. And I bet David was shocked. He never expected anyone to confront him. But yet, the confrontation comes from an ally, a trusted counselor. And so in essence, this friend says, David, you're the one who allowed your thoughts to feed on this woman. David, you're the one who took this poor man's lamb. David, you're the one who took her to satisfy your own desires. David, you're the man. And after Nathan finished speaking some of the consequences, because David is king, he's in charge of thousands and thousands of people, and obviously, I'm sure the servants knew what was going on, and word was probably getting out. Um, I bet there was complete silence. And watch what happens. This is amazing. David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned. I have He confessed, I have sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Now we know that David was very sincere. You know, we know that David was repentant. When a person is truly repentant, they turn back to God's higher way of living. And we know that David did instead of going back to the lower ways of sin. And so this wasn't just remorse like, oh no, I got caught You know, this was true repentance. This was turning away from what he had done and embracing God and confessing his sin to God. And how do we know this? Well, listen to what David wrote just after this in Psalm 51. This is truly amazing after being confronted. He wrote um, this, and you can see it today. Um, Psalm 51, verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, your love that will never run out for me, even when I do wrong. Because of your great compassion for sending Nathan, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me, clean me from my guilt, purify me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and following your ways and make me willing to obey you. Can you hear David's heart? Can you hear his sincerity? Can you hear his transparency? I mean, for a king to write so openly about his sin to us, to his audience back then, That is amazing. Only someone who experienced the forgiveness from God could do something like that. And when someone is able to confess their sin to others, then the shame, the guilt that is on them 
starts to dissipate and starts to come off of them. It's no longer a secret. Because here's what David learned. He learned that hiding in sin never leads to a breakthrough. But confession of sin brings freedom and forgiveness. Let me say that again. Hiding in sin never leads to a breakthrough. But confession of sin brings freedom and forgiveness. That's what God wants for us. He's not out to get us. He wants us to experience freedom. Freedom from something that has trapped us. So do you know what leads to a breakthrough? When we take the time to fast and pray, it makes us kind of shut down the distractions of the world around us. And we begin to focus and attune our hearts to what God wants to say to us. And for some of you, you have, during this fast, become very aware that there's something just wrong within your life. There's something that has a grip within you or on you. And for some of you, maybe the reason you have not experienced a breakthrough is simply you have not confessed your sins to God. I know during this fast, God had to speak uh, into my heart, into my life on something. And I had to take the step to confess that to him and ask for his forgiveness. And it was something that was like, wow, God, thanks for doing that. I needed to do that. And so the first step that we take is we simply confess our sins to God and we ask him to forgive us. And when he forgives us, you hear his truth his truth that he wants to say to all of us, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. And the next step that he wants us to take to get rid of the shame and the guilt and to get some help and to get an ally is to confess to someone else. He tells us to confess our sins to one another. And when we do that, the shame and guilt starts to dissipate. It no longer controls us. We no longer feel those things in our hearts and in our lives, and we gain an ally. We gain an ally with God, and we gain an ally with someone who's probably been there, who's probably wrestled with those things, who's godly and says, hey, we all mess up. Even great kings mess up. Even guys who were known for following God after God's own heart as well. And so my question for all of us is, where are you at? You know, as you've been in this fast, where are you at? Is there something that you've been hiding? Is there an addiction that you're struggling with? Is there something that you are doing that's hurting yourself in your eating habits or uh, in the way of maybe even cutting yourself? Is there something that you are dishonoring God with in your relationships on the weekend and yet coming to church on Sunday as if nothing happened? Are you doing something with a boyfriend or girlfriend or someone else and you just know, man, I'm burying myself. I've allowed this to just keep creeping down, down, and down. So where are you at? You know, are you ready to confess that to God? Are you ready to ask him for forgiveness? And when you do, there is nothing, there is nothing that God cannot forgive. And we will find freedom when we confess those things to him and we turn away from him. 
Now, if you're not a Christ follower and you've been coming to Epic and you realize, man, there is something that is gripping in my life and I can't escape it and I need some help, well, the first step for you is simply to ask God for help into a, into a relationship with him. So recognize that he sent his son to die on the cross for you, that Jesus paid the penalty of all of our sins on the cross And when we simply believe that he rose back from the dead on the third day to show us that he could forgive our sins and that he was God, when we ask him to forgive us of our sins and be our God and be our savior, then he will come into our lives and we start a relationship with him. So maybe for some of you, you need a new life. You need a new relationship with God. And so in a moment, this is what we're going to do. In a moment, we're going to close out with communion today to end this series and to end this fast and everything. And in communion, it is a perfect time to reflect on what God did for us, how much he loves us, and remember that Jesus died for us. And the second aspect of communion is pretty cool too. It's a moment where we check our hearts. And so if God has said something to you during this series or during this message like that you need to deal with, it's a time to have confession, a time to pray to him and ask God to forgive you. And so let me lead us through uh, communion. And this is how we do communion here at Epic. And so uh, the way that we do communion here is that communion is open to anyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so if you've done that, I encourage you to take part in communion. And the way that we do communion here is that there's two stations at the front and there's four stations in the back. And uh, let me walk you through the two things that communion represents. Sometimes it's like, why do we do this thing? So the reason that we do communion is because Jesus commanded us before he died on the cross, he told his disciples to do this as a way to remember what he did for us. And so it's a time of celebration. It's a time to say thank you to him. Um, And it reminds us of his great love. In 1 Corinthians 11, it describes this in verse 23. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And that's what bread represents. It represents us remembering that he gave his life. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. And that's what the juice represents. It represents the blood that Jesus shed to be able to forgive us our sins. So for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death. You are remembering it until he comes again, because he will. So before we take communion, it's proper to just start talking to him, to start thanking him for what he did by dying on the cross. And then the next part, that communion, or the other aspect that we should do, is to look within. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven, 27, it says, So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. This is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. So before we take communion, after we've thanked him, it's a time to ask God, is there anything in my life that's not pleasing to you? Would you bring it to my mind? And as he does, we confess those things to him in prayer. We ask for forgiveness and we tell him that we don't want to do those things and to help us to turn away from that. 
And so we're tapping in, we're leaning on God in those moments. So this is what we're going to do. In a moment, I'm going to pray before we take communion. And uh, during that prayer, it's a time for you to actually start praying. And so in your prayers, just start with thanking God, thanking him for his great love, for sending his son. Thank Jesus for dying on the cross for our sins. And just have a moment to remember what he did for us. And then uh, ask God, God, is there anything in my life that I've done wrong? And if something has come to your attention, then confess that to him and ask him for forgiveness and you will be forgiven, which is amazing, which is awesome that God would do that. And so if you're not a Christ follower and you're like, man, today I realize I've got a lot in my world that I need forgiveness for, well, today you really need to begin a relationship with him. So during my prayer, you just simply express to him, God, I want to be in a relationship with you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. And Jesus, thank you for paying the price for my sins. And will you forgive me of my sins? Will you be my God? Thank you for coming back to life to show that you have power over sin and death and that you can forgive sins. Will you become my God? Will you become my Savior? And so I'm going to pray here in a moment uh, before you can get up and take communion. The band's going to play a song during communion. And if I finish praying and you need to still talk to God, Um, just remain in your seats and continue to talk to him, all right? And if, or if you would like, if you'd like to get up and get the elements and then stand off to the side and pray and then take the elements, do that as well. And so they're going to uh, come out and play a song as we take communion. And then at the end of that song, uh, we'll have some final words before we go. So let me pray and you start talking to God as well. So Father, thank you so much for today. God, we thank you that you are so great. God, thank you that there's this example of this king. And just like him, we are made the same way by you. And so, Lord, we just thank you for never giving up on us. You're not here to bash us. You're here to pursue us. We all know the grip that things can have in our lives. We know it hurts us and hurts those who are around us. We're so glad that you come in such a way to speak truth into our lives, just like you used Nathan, a friendly ally. God, you want to rescue us. And so today we praise you for that. We thank you. Jesus, thank you for coming and dying for us. And today, God, if there's someone here who needs to confess their sins to you, I pray that they would take that step of faith to do that. And they will find your embrace. They will find your forgiveness. And you will whisper into their hearts that they are forgiven. So Father, we thank you for what you're going to do this year, how you want us to have a breakthrough in our lives. Thank you so much for so many people who for the last two weeks have spent so much time focusing on you. And so God, we celebrate today by taking communion. And so we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.
Man, I hope you experienced God's reckless love today as you confessed your sins to him and, um, and that you heard him say to you, you are forgiven. And uh, I want to encourage you, if this is something that still just has a grip on your life, the next step that you need to do is find someone who has a godly relationship with God and confess that to them to get the shame and the guilt that does not belong in your life there as well. Find a trusted ally. Now, many of you, you have engaged the fast so well, and you have had some amazing moments. And I want to encourage you to take some of those elements during this fast and apply them to your life. Maybe commit to doing some of them for the rest of 2018 so that you can continue to experience the breakthrough that he wants you to experience. So we're thankful that you are here today. Thanks for being with us during the season. Next week is Super Bowl Sunday. Invite a friend. Uh, Also, there's the FPU informational meeting uh, right after service. Thank you guys so much for being here, and uh, we'll see you next week.